Hello, everyone, and welcome to Taming the Shrew. I'm Adam Gatula, an emergency medicine intern at the University of Cincinnati. Today, I'm here to discuss anti-D immunoglobin, otherwise known as Rogam, and the evidence, or lack thereof, pertaining to how we utilize it in the emergency department. I'm honored to have Dr. Telegani as my guest. Dr. Telegani is a neonatal pharmacist from the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit here at the University of Cincinnati. But before we get started, please consider checking out one of our posts from October 2017. It discusses RHD-LO immunization prevention in the emergency department. It includes clinical decision-making algorithms and further details regarding laboratory evaluations of patients who need Rogam. So to get started, hemolytic disease of the newborn and fetus is an alloimmune disease which develops in fetuses when a woman's immune system is sensitized, developing antibodies which cross the placenta and attack fetal red blood cells. While there's a spectrum of this disease, in severe cases, the fetus can ultimately develop hydrops fetalis, which is often fatal. As emergency physicians, we are classically taught that we can help prevent this disease by recognizing sensitizing events in Rh-negative women and providing Rogam. But what patients really need Rogam? The evidence seems to be lacking, and the recommendations are often inconsistent. So our first question for our guest today is, what is Rogam, and, and by what mechanism does it work? Thanks, Adam, for having me here. Well, Rogam, or the formulary product that we use here, which is called Roflac, is, is an immune globulin, which we administer either IM or IV. And the goal is to suppress RH isoimmunization or anti-D antibody formation in an RH-negative mother with a potentially confirmed RH-positive blood type infant or, or a suspected RH-positive RH infant. The goal is to prevent isoimmunization by essentially suppressing the immune response and improving the clearance of Rh-positive cells that the mom has been exposed to. That If we administer it to those who are at risk and early enough, it can decrease the risk of antibody formation from about 12 to 13 percent to maybe 1 or 2 percent if given correctly at the correct time. So, so recommendations regarding this anti-D immunoglobin with threatened miscarriages seem to particularly be rather inconsistent, likely secondary to lack of evidence. There are several national guidelines recommended against giving this to women with threatened pregnancy loss, while others recommend giving Rogam to threatened miscarriages which have heavy vaginal bleeding are repeated or associated with abdominal pain. What would you recommend we give to patients with threatened miscarriages? I think the first cutoff to consider is how far along we are in gestation. Here we use 16 weeks as our gestation cutoff for a single dosing of of a 300 microgram vial or more if they're beyond that. But for cases of abdominal trauma, threatened abortion, or if they're having an invasive obstetric procedure, it seems that the best course of action is to administer a full dose or a 300 microgram dose within 72 hours um, at the latest of the procedure or sensitizing event. Now, if we do quantify the blood exposure to be greater than 15 mLs, then at that point we can consider giving additional anti-D immune globulin. So, going away from just the threatened abortion to, to maybe a documented first trimester loss, it seems like the American College of Emergency Physicians recommends to give immunoglobin to all cases of documented first trimester loss. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold the phone. While the American College of Emergency Physicians recommends giving Rogam to all documented first trimester losses, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology only recommends considering this in documented first trimester losses.
And what do you do in your practice? That's a good question. It's always a, a question of risk benefit. And as we'll hopefully get to, the, the risks of giving this medication to a patient who maybe doesn't need it are fairly low, but, but there are some real ones that we can talk about. The practice here and, and the most consistent thing that we do is that all ACOG recommendations in the sense of administering the immune globulin for pregnancy loss in cases where there is suspected fetal maternal hemorrhage. So women who have instrumentation used as, as part of their treatment for the pregnancy loss, certainly also in the cases of ectopic pregnancy, it's something to be considered and, and perhaps administered to women who are Rh negative. So uh, you mentioned ectopic pregnancy. The NICE guidelines from the UK only recommend giving it in an ectopic pregnancy that requires surgical management rather than medical management, whereas ACOG recommends we give Rogaine in all ectopic pregnancies. The American College of Emergency Physicians, however, says there is not enough evidence to make a conclusion. Could you tell us a little more about your practice when it comes to that? Definitely. So, I mean, for the frontline practitioner, there's not, that's not really helpful advice to say that there's not evidence to make a conclusion. So, I would err on the side of administering it to women who have a of a topic that's either medically or surgically handled. Typically, it is not currently part of our algorithm for medical management of ectopic pregnancies to administer Rogam, but those uh, which are surgically managed seem to seem to get it for sure. What other situation we, we sometimes see in the emergency department is abdominal trauma in these early pregnancies. The ASEP recommendations say that there's level C evidence to give this to patients with abdominal trauma, essentially a weak recommendation, whereas ACOG tells us to give it to all RHD negative women who have experienced abdominal trauma. What do you recommend? I would also recommend administering it to all RH negative patients who've had abdominal trauma. The fact is that we're trying to prevent an issue with, for sure, this pregnancy, perhaps even more importantly, future pregnancies and preventing hemolytic diseases of newborn and, and hydrospitalis. So in cases of abdominal trauma, I would still make that decision point the gestation of the, of the fetus. Folks, the gestational point we care about here is 16 weeks. While all Rh-negative women should receive that one-time 300 microgram dose of Rogam, those greater than 16 weeks should be followed up with a KB test and potential additional dosing. So to wrap up our quick discussion here of some of the evidence, the Cochrane Review essentially says there's insufficient data uh, and that this should be based on standard practices from each country. So just to sort of sum up our practice here at the University of Cincinnati, it seems like we err on the side of giving one dose program prior to 16 weeks and potentially multiple thereafter dependent on further testing. We are essentially trying to give program to anyone where there might be cause for mixing of fetal and maternal blood. That's correct. How soon do we have to give Rogam after a sensitizing event, and what's the logic behind that? That's a great question. All of the literature that's available sets a hard stop of 72 hours. And the thought behind that is that most of the data that we have available show that antibody formation from exposure to Rh-positive cells in an Rh-negative mom starts to occur within 3 to 14 days of that sensitizing event. So administering it within 72 hours of that initial event gives you the best chance at preventing isoimmunization in the mother. Is this the same reason that a type and screen only lasts 72 hours? 
It is. Uh, that's an interesting recommendation. So there's not a lot of good data that says how often you should get a type and screen when you're an inpatient. For patients who are not at risk for receiving transfusion or having an excessive blood loss during their hospital course, likely a single type and screen is sufficient. This doesn't unfortunately or fortunately include pregnant women. They're, they're certainly at increased risk for receiving transfusion and, and needing blood products. So the AABB, so the, the American Association of Blood Banks, has standards of practice for how often types and screens should be obtained and how long they remain good. So the day that it's obtained is, is counted as day zero. And like you said, it is, it is only valid for three days because should there be a sensitizing event, that would be our trigger point as, as far as a temporal relationship goes to when antibodies start to form and we would have to make some other interventions. So our timelines are essentially based on the reactivity of our body to produce antibodies. Without a doubt. So we haven't talked about dosing yet and the guidelines are inconsistent on dosing. Some recommend starting with 50 micrograms whereas others suggest going right to 300 micrograms. Where do you start when you dose Rogam? Yeah, that's that's a great question. It's important to know there's there's a distinction between microgram dosing and then uh, WHO dosing of units of anti-D immune globulin. So when, when we're talking about our dosing, we're certainly talking about micrograms. So what we're hoping to do or the activity that we know that Rogam or, or products like it have is about 20 micrograms is sufficient to provide protection for, for 1 ml of, of blood. So in our cases where we're talking about gestations of 16 weeks or, or less, or when we're talking about a, a quantitative blood exposure of 15 mLs, you're talking about a 300 microgram dose essentially being sufficient to cover that full 15 ml exposure at 20 mics per ml. So typically there's, there's not a scenario here where we would give any doses less than 300 micrograms. That comes from one, the manufacturer's package insert, and then our guidelines that we have in place here, ensuring that we give the safest and largest dose to provide the most protection. Because if you think about it, we're using it as, as sort of empirical coverage to prevent antibody formation. Now, when we give Rogam and we may need to give more Rogam, is there an upper limit to how much Rogam can be given at one point in time? Yeah, that's a great question. There's there's not a whole lot from the manufacturer with regards to like a maximum dose that can be given. In cases of excessive fetal maternal hemorrhage, multiple vials or multiple doses, more than 300 micrograms may be needed. So in those cases, the, the best option is to have the, the blood loss or blood uh, exposure quantified by using KB stain and then administering the dose that's, that's needed or additional doses in addition to that first 300 microgram dose patient to provide full protection from the excessive exposure that they've had. So I think you mentioned uh, the KB test. Could you explain a little bit about what the KB test is and any other alternative methods we sometimes use in quantifying the fetal maternal hemorrhage? Yeah, that's a good question. I'll, I'll try my best. So the KB, KB test or the KB stain is, a, is an acid elution stain where you would take a, a smear of the maternal blood and then you would do a wash in a stain to wash out maternal hemoglobin and then stain fetal hemoglobin. And then by doing some counting and some fancy math, you can quantify how much of the maternal blood or maternal hemoglobin sample that you have is contaminated or, or mixed with fetal hemoglobin. So using that, using that assay and knowing that a term infant, for example, has about 150 mLs per kilo of, of blood, knowing 
knowing that they have a hematocrit on average of about 50, you can use that information to quantify how much exposure there has been from uh, the fetus to the mother. Whenever we give a medication, we have to consider the potential downsides to it. Are there any adverse reactions to, to Rogam? And if so, would this potentially contraindicate us from giving Rogam to certain groups of patients? Yeah, certain things I would consider is that remember that it's a it's a human plasma derived product. So any patient who has special considerations considering involving um, products derived from humans, that's that's an important piece of the information to share with them so that they're making an informed decision. That said, we don't need a special consent per se to administer this product, and in most cases, does tend to be a life saving or potentially life saving intervention. So it it takes precedence. Over over any religious preference. But, but that is an important consideration to have. Infusion site reactions, um, it, it can be given as an IM injection, of course, so uh, that's something to watch for. Otherwise, it's, it's a pretty benign intervention. It's typically well tolerated. One thing that we do want to avoid, if at all possible, is administering it to anyone who's RH positive. It, it's likely not going to be harmful to an, to an RH positive person, but there have been cases when they were doing the studies for the drug where RH positive patients received the immune globulin and, and ended up developing anemia and renal failure. Now those things resolved on their own, they were self-limited, but it's, uh, it's an important consideration to, hey, make sure to not give it to those who are RH positive, but otherwise pretty well tolerated. So to close up here, first I want to thank you for doing this with us. Uh, we certainly appreciate your insight and your expertise in this topic, but there was one point you would like emergency physicians to remember about Rogamma. What would it be? I wish I could just think of one thing to say about any drug, but that's that's not my uh, that's not my thing. So if I were to do anything, is to is to recognize the patient who needs it and give it as early as possible, and then ensure that we have good follow up. That in in cases where there is extensive fetal maternal hemorrhage, and and the patient might need additional doses, um, that we contact that patient to come back because uh, typically it doesn't require any sort of monitoring if we're giving it as as prophylaxis against isoimmunization. Um, doesn't require any sort of inpatient monitoring. So as long as the patient's medically stable, they're discharged. Um, but if you do find out later that they do require an additional RH immune globulin, then you should make sure that loop is closed so that the, that the patient is contacted and they can come in and receive their subsequent doses. Even as an outpatient, it can be administered. The other thing to kind of be aware of is, is weak D or partial D phenotypes. So um, it does come up. It, it's pretty rare, but it does come up from time to time. And those folks do have the potential to show up as RH positive, where in fact, if they are exposed to truly RH positive blood, they may develop antibodies. So in those cases, those patients typically do require the, the administration of Rocam or, or Roflac. Well, thank you so much for participating in this and for sharing your thoughts with us today. For everybody listening, remember to check out our, our blog posts uh, from October of 2017 on Taming the Shrew. Uh, there you can find a list of the potential sensitizing events or fetal maternal hemorrhage that was that was referred to.